Hey, welcome to this episode of the Hillside Church Podcast. We wanted to start recording more content and conversations as an effort to try to encourage and equip our church midweek. We hope to cover a variety of topics as well as hear from others in our church. And today we are continuing our series on how to read the Bible. Okay, well, we're back for part two of our series we are doing on how to read the Bible. And today we have a very special guest, the Robbie specialist, The specialist of guests, uh, LeBron we, James. <clears throat> LeJean. <laughs> uh, we have with us Tucker Parman, who, is, who we have both previously worked with. I'll say one thing about Tucker. Um, Tucker... He put me on probation once (laughs) (laughs) from steaming milk at Zootown (laughs) Brew, which I don't think anybody in the history of that coffee shop had ever gotten put on. Uh, So Tucker is kind of a no-nonsense guy is what I've learned, but just kidding. But that's, I don't, that was not in my notes. That just came to mind when I... Yeah, started introducing Tucker, but do you have any memories before we... Yeah, I mean, if you can't make the microphone... Is that right, Tucker? That's exactly right. What are we not in? Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of Tucker and my history. No, Tucker's a dear friend. That's what I would say. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) And loves the Lord. And we're lucky to be able to interact with him today. Yeah. And if you keep up the naughty behavior, Dan, you'll be on probation here too. (laughs) Ooh, wow. (laughs) Jeez. Okay. Well... Now I know how Kyle Worley feels when Jen and JT are going at him. Anyways, okay, Tucker, uh, why don't you just introduce yourself a little bit? Who are you? What are you currently doing? Where are you serving? Uh, anything like that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tucker, that's my name. Uh, I've had Dan. We've like flip flopped. You were my boss, and I've been your boss, and then we were coworkers, and we, so we've kind of experienced all the relational dynamics at play. Robbie, do you yeah. remember when we would have our, our meetings, our managerial meetings, and Dan would come down <laughs> and wipe the windows with bleach rags and mm-hmm. just make them so dirty and streak them all over the place? Yeah, but they were disinfected. <laughs> <laughs> they were clean in that sense. That's true. That was pre-COVID. Uh, I was ahead of the time. <laughs> uh, I've been in ministry for like nine years, a little over nine years, uh, and different, different things, youth ministry, church ministry, outreach ministry. Um, feel like I've kind of done about anything that you could think of, even if it's loosely connected to ministry, uh, running fundraisers and all the rest. Currently, I'm serving uh, as the executive and discipleship pastor at Anchor Church, where I've been for the last like three and a half years now. And uh, yeah, that's I think that's like a good short intro into kind of who I am and, and what life might look like over here. Oh, I've been married for two and a half years. That's pretty important. Hello. Uh, Robbie officiated my wedding and he is in every one of our wedding photos. So that's a memory <laughs> we cannot forget and we're grateful for. Mm-hmm. Mm, lucky. I was there. Yeah, were you? You were yeah. there. Where's Tucker the was in Tucker was in my wedding. That's true. So it's very true. Uh yeah. Cool. Um well thanks for joining us today. So we yeah. today we're gonna just talk about continuing uh our series on how to read the Bible. And so our hope is just to like help people. Um, We're kind of keeping it pretty 
basic, like, how do you even yeah. start? Where do you even start reading the Bible? What are some things you need to know to understand the Bible properly as God has intended? And so last podcast episode, we just talked about how the Bible is for everyone. The Bible was written yeah. in ordinary language of that day. Uh, we have, you know, we've a lot of time has elapsed since then in different cultures. So there's all of that that we have to dig through in order for it to f sound ordinary, you know, but mm -hmm. um, just that it, it wasn't written for the, you know, high and mighty intellects, yeah. but just ordinary people. So that was kind of, if I remember right, what we've mostly covered in part one, just like, Hey, read the, the Bible's written for ordinary people. And then we just said the three most important rules are read it, read it. And what was the third one? Read it. Boom. No, yeah. Mm, so, good. but to, today, just moving into, okay, as far, okay, I'm reading it, but now what's like the next step of things I need to understand to yeah. properly interpret scripture. So today we want to talk all about context. We'll talk about different kinds of context. So first off, just literary context. Uh, who wants to take a stab at that first? Tucker, you're the guest. What do we mean by literary context and any thoughts or yeah. examples on, on that? Mm -hmm. I think my go-to for, for literary context um, is, is Philippians 4.13. I feel like yeah. that's a, a really good starting place, just like to, to understand it. Philippians 4.13 is that verse that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I, I was thinking about it in, in prep for this. I, I think that like really came to popularity with Tim Tebow. Right? Didn't he wear that? Oh. And was like eye black under his eye. Mm -hmm. I thought he. I, I feel thought, like I was thinking Steph Curry, but maybe you're. Yeah, I think you're right. Might have been Steph, but I feel like it's kind of been grasped, in, not in always, but in some ways by kind of this athletic perception, right? Like I can go out on the court and I can perform and I can do all this to Christ who gives me strength. Or yeah, but but what literary context would show us is um, that that verse doesn't really have much to say actually about just like slapping Jesus's name on something and having the ability to do it. But when mm -hmm. you take a step back and read uh, what literary context would kind of point us towards is like what's being said around what it is that I'm reading. So what did I just read and how do we carry that into this? And as we do that with that verse in particular, we see that Paul is much more interested in talking about how is it that I live a faithful life as a Christ follower, whether or not I've like kind of been on the mountaintops and I've had all that I've needed or I've been beaten and persecuted and put in prison. Like either way, whether I have little or whether I have much, I, I found the ability to do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Mm -hmm. So I feel like literary context in, in kind of a nutshell would give us, um, it would help us to understand what is being said in the moment by carrying with us what we just read, uh, maybe right prior to that verse. Yeah. Because often our Bibles are segmented today in ways that they wouldn't have been. So I think our tendency might be to like, we leave a little bit behind when we yeah. jump from one section to the next section. But literary mm -hmm. context would really implore us to carry some of that meaning forward. Mm. Any thoughts, Robbie? No, it's really good. I actually, the thought I had is just, um, maybe it's more of a question is, do you think the way that we preach the Bible in churches mm. hurts or assists, or is there a method of preaching that assists literary context better than other ways? And I know we're talking about reading the Bible, but, but yeah. even, uh, even just preaching or what we should be listening to to help with mm -hmm. literary context. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think expositional preaching 
naturally flows into a better understanding of literary context. Expositional preaching being like, we're going to preach through these five verses and not just take like the topical component out of it, but understand what's being said around it, whether that's in the preceding verses or even chapters. So I do think that there's definitely some some positives to expositional preaching in that way, especially I love that question because I do think that some people within our communities of faith, their, their initial starting point in hearing the scriptures is through preaching. And yeah. so if it's just kind of a preaching of one verse in isolation. I do think that that can give a bit of a harder place to start when it comes to understanding the importance of literary context, uh, as opposed to trying to be as faithful as we can preaching expositionally, even when we go to something that's topical, trying not to just pick out like, okay, here's that one verse that might say what it is that I mean, but take into consideration what's being said before it, what's being said after it. So yeah. that, that would be kind of my answer to that question. Yeah, that's good. You took my, uh, I thought Philippians 4.13, you know, that's like the go-to good example. I want to read you something. And if you can tell me what's going on, this is a, a quote from Jack Ryan. One line on one episode in one season. He says this, it's better to be on the inside, maybe be able to change something than be on the outside and not be able to change anything. So based off of one quote without any surrounding context in one episode <laughs> yeah. of one uh, season of a great show, you know, where Jim Helpert's just crushing it. Yeah. <laughs> Can you, how do you, what do you think is going on in that scenario? Yeah. I mean, I don't know, but I could apply it to <laughs> other areas of my life. You could put it on the shoe. Like in the winter, in the winter, it's so much better to be on the inside. Mm, you know? See, maybe that's what he's saying. I, I think don't... that's what he's saying. What do you think, Tucker? Do <laughs> you have any stabs at it? Right. <laughs> it's profound. Yeah. I mean, it, is. it, really it speaks is. to me. Yeah. Uh, my initial thought was some sort of like governmental connection. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think that would be more uh, accurate, but still it's like, you just have no context. And then, so that's just For to sure. illustrate the point that if we take, if we do the old flip the Bible open, grab a verse uh, and don't re understand any of the context, there's, it's so yeah. dangerous to, try to say, I understand the Bible or the story yeah. of the Bible even. So yeah. just understanding literary context and then these other contexts that we've been into that just, I don't know, was one illustration of yeah. how, or, or I've heard you say this before, Tucker, I think maybe you did this in a class once where like you read a letter to the class between mm. you and Jenna or something like that. I remember you mentioned yeah. that. And yeah. Like I, uh, they, I came some of that. it, yeah, some of it they under, can understand like, you know, but yes. some of it, there's no background knowledge, so it's hard to know. And maybe that'd actually be a better segue into the next form of context, which we've would be called historical context. And by this, we just mean, is there anything in the culture or historical situation that would help shed light on mm -hmm. uh, how we might read this verse or this even the surrounding mm -hmm. passages? So maybe that letter, um, maybe you can talk about that letter component in in light of this yeah yeah that was actually something i i had uh, seen tim mackey do from the bible project in one of his his classes um yeah we, we just kind of wrote a letter to like it was me writing to my wife and i wrote mm -hmm. to her about some like recent happenings within 
within our life. But as I'm sure you guys know, whether it's with each other or with your spouses, like you have inside jokes and you have names for stuff that other people might, might not recognize. So the way that you would communicate to someone who you know well, uh, it would be different or much more difficult for somebody to understand if they didn't have that same, same sort of experience, whether that be um, experience together in, in the context of kind of this historical uh, context that we're talking about right now of this shared experience together or a shared understanding of where you've come from or events that have taken place. So it was a, it was just a fun opportunity for people to kind of um, situate themselves in, in the middle of this historical context mm-hmm. in a way that I think is a little bit more approachable than the first conversation that we might have about some scripture in that way. Right. Uh, it, it can feel, I think, a little bit less intimidating for some people that way. But uh, yeah, historical context is is certainly a, a pretty critical component in understanding any form of, of written literature to somebody else. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you guys have any examples or thoughts on like, I don't know, a, a, uh, maybe a passage or book of the Bible that uh, comes to mind when you think of like how much historical context helps you understand that? Yeah, I mean, even just the Sermon on the Mount, which I know you guys are going through yeah, absolutely. at Anchor, and we just finished going through last year. There's just so much context to like how people feel, how people feel about the Pharisees. Like we look at the mm-hmm. Pharisees and we see them as bad guys, but they were really mm-hmm. important people mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. context. And so when Jesus speaks against them, you know, we see it as, wow, you know, those are nasty men that made religion well made following Christ hard or uh but they were they were on a pedestal in that culture. Um I even think of first John, which we're going through right now, mm-hmm. and the reality that like the the joy of their faith in the beginning of the first century had been sort of lost. And yeah. so John's encouraging them, like, here's the assurance of your salvation. There should be joy in your faith and obedience and all mm-hmm. of that stuff. So like historical context, to me, it makes passages more real to, mm-hmm. to yeah. us, stuff like that even. So, yeah. I mean, I those are the examples that come to mind, but there would be an example for every single passage of scripture yeah. in terms of what's the context to help us understand. Yeah, even, mm-hmm. I mean, even going back to the Philippians 4, 13, you ha- it helps you understand that when you understand the imprisonment of Paul mm-hmm. in that time. So it's for Paul to which you can find in the text itself. But yep. Paul writing that from prison sheds a different light on it than if he was writing it from a palace. You know, mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. yeah, I'd be content too if I was sitting there. Right. Yeah, you know. But reading, you know, when he's writing some of these letters from prison, that even that's just a good historical context clue and shapes the way you might read those passages as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. I, they, as you're talking more coming to mind, but just like Babylonian captivity for God's yeah. people. Mm-hmm. I mean, that yeah. historically gives you a lot of context for a lot of books, Daniel, mm-hmm. Jeremiah, right. uh, Isaiah. There's, but um, so even when we read passages like Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, mm-hmm. it's all mm-hmm. set. And this is literary context too, but historical context, it's all set in Babylonian captivity. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, one of my favorite examples of some historical context is the book of Romans. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like understanding some of that historical backdrop makes 
the first few chapters of Romans make a ton of sense that uh, in, in around AD 49, the, the emperor of Rome kind of expelled most of the Jews from that community. And so there was these early Jewish Christians and these house churches, and then they kind of were forced to leave. It, it tells us as much in, in Acts 18 um, that Paul comes across. I think it's Priscilla, and she. the text tells us that she has to leave because the emperor has kind of expelled all Jews away. So then there was this period of, of about eighty forty nine to 54, 55, uh, when the emperor died and that kind of decree fell where there was five years where all of a sudden Gentile Christians are the one in charge of the church and some of the practices, right? And so I think you start to see how in the book of Romans, the way that Paul would write it, we see in chapter one, he hammers that like Gentile believers had missed the mark. And that one's pretty prominent, especially as you get to the end of that chapter. But then he starts chapter two by saying like, the Jewish Christians, you too have, have kind of missed this mark. And he culminates that in, in mm-hmm. Romans chapter three, by telling us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And mm-hmm. as you understand, at least for me, as I understand this sort of backdrop in which it is writing that, that the book of Romans is dated somewhere between like 56, 57, 58 AD. So this letter is reaching the church in Rome a year or two after there's been this like is it the Jewish Christian way or the Gentile Christian way? Yeah. And Paul mm-hmm. comes in and he's like, well, both have error. And we must understand mm-hmm. that there's like this common ground of sin and that Christ has redeemed us all. Mm-hmm. So that's one of my favorite examples of that, because there's no real like if you just start in the, in Romans chapter one, there's no real way of knowing that. Uh, but mm-hmm. as you kind of dig into this history of what's taking place around that time and that culture, even within the life of Christians at that time, I think you start to see a bit more of a broad understanding of why Paul might be addressing some of the things that he's addressing in this letter to these people and why the conflict might exist between Jews and Gentiles the way that it does. Yeah, that's good. That's a, yeah, that's a really good example. Scratch Um, all of mine. That was the best. Just cut out what Dan and Robbie said. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Just cut out what Dan said. You did great. No, I didn't though. Let's, uh, that's really good. I think that sums that one up well. And then, so the last one I want to talk about is just canonical context, meaning just the store, the, like, where does this fit into the larger sweeping story of the Bible? How does it fit into the larger, uh, narrative of redemption and salvation in the Bible? And so I think this is a super important one too, um, for how we read mm-hmm. scripture today. And, uh, I don't know if you guys have, thought of any examples of this or illustrations of this, but I think this there, I mean, they're all super important, right? But um, I think this one, maybe sometimes we are slower to keep in mind, maybe especially as we're reading some of the old Testament texts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I actually, the one that came to mind for me as an illustration is um, like, so, you know, the, the popular verse, Jeremiah 17, nine, um, where he says the heart is more deceitful than anything else and then incurable who can understand it. And so, and we'll say that and then we'll kind of like stop there, you know, mm-hmm. and we won't read up to, okay, Jeremiah 31 yeah. says, you know, this is the covenant I will make with Israel after those days. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They'll be my people. Or Ezekiel where he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So it's not that saying the Jeremiah 17, nine thing and just stopping there is, is wrong. Like it is true that the heart is deceitfully wicked, but 
that's not the end of the story like that that god mm-hmm. is doing with his people and so i think if you read that in the story of the whole bible it's you'd read it as man we are corrupt people our hearts are so flawed apart from god um, mm-hmm. but god is going to send christ in infiltrate the world to infiltrate our hearts to redeem our hearts and renew our hearts to put um, a heart of flesh in rather than a heart of stone and so but if we just stop at the if we kind of proof text with the jeremiah 17 it's it's true that it's not untrue but it's you're stopping i think prematurely forgetting what christ is doing in the whole redemptive history of salvation Mm -hmm. um and so that's i don't know if you guys have any thoughts or examples but that's Mm -hmm. one that came to mind for me and i'm not again people use that and will say you know the heart's deceitfully wicked that's i'm not saying that's not true i'm just saying that end right it's not the end of the story like we don't have to have yes. it's we're not hopeless like we christ is in the work of redeeming our hearts and renovating our hearts to love mm-hmm. him to love our neighbor to properly order our desires in our hearts and so but if we miss if we don't put that that um verse within the whole story of jeremiah and the book of Jeremiah within the whole story of the Bible, then we miss, uh, you know, the good news mm-hmm. of it. And just understanding that the story of the Bible is one sweeping story that uh, points to Christ and where he would even say, you know, the Old Testament was about me, you know, mm-hmm. and led to me. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. keeping that that whole framework, and I think we're going to maybe do a series actually in the future on like the story of the Bible, just getting like the whole timeline, oh, cool. uh, like basics yeah. kind of of creation fall redemption restoration and so but that's yeah that's one example that comes to mind for me as i was thinking about Mm -hmm. this of how we can miss out if we or or Mm -hmm. potentially fully misinterpret if we just pull a verse not only out of its literary context but out of its context within the whole narrative of the bible yeah any thoughts on Mm -hmm. those or on on this sort of context Mm. that's good what do you mm-hmm. think, Tucker? That is good. Uh, yeah, I think you, you, that's a great example. I, I think the our at times unfamiliarity with the Old Testament certainly serves problems for, I think, how we would read the Old Testament. But I also think it can be pretty problematic for how we would read the New Testament mm-hmm. and how we would understand some of its declarations and promises. Right. Um, because it is so wrought with examples and textual considerations from this wealth of writing and God's movement with his people of Israel. There's a really cool image out there. If you Google um, like Bible references, the whole Bible references, it, it, it's like this massive like rainbow arc that has all these different connective scriptures from Old Testament to New Testament and New Testament into New Testament. But I think it's a great visual depiction of how much the New Testament pulls from the Old. And I know that Mm. when we read through some of the narrative in the Old Testament or the law of the Old Testament, it feels a lot different than reading through the Sermon on the Mount. But I think when we begin to grasp some of that canonical context that you're talking about, Dan, we start to see the parallels that exist and how, yes, it is a different covenant, but it is, it's not as if it's like all of a sudden some different God, right? And, right. and it's like, well, we have the God of the New Testament, New, New Testament and one of the old. My, one of my favorite examples is in Matthew 1.1. The, the first mm. verse of Matthew is Jesus, the son of Abraham, the son of David. And then it goes through the genealogy, which mm-hmm. uh, I know can be difficult for us to get. But within that first statement, 
uh, if we understand what kind of God has been doing through redemptive history, we know that in Abraham and in David, like these are two of the most foundational people in God advancing his people and his kingdom here on this earth. And that even in some of the prophetic books, we'd see that the son of David, like in the book of Psalms, we'll see that the Lord is considered the son of David. So within this first statement that Matthew writes in his gospel, if we're aware of some of the canonical context of what's happened up to this point, we should be seeing by the end of chapter one, Matthew's making an incredible declaration about the person of Jesus. And it's that Mm -hmm. he's the Messiah. It doesn't Mm -hmm. say it exactly like that, but if we understand some of what God's done prior to this in the history of redemption, I think we start to get that. uh, Augustine, your your boy, Dan, uh, has a quote where he says, yeah, exactly. He says, the new uh, is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed, speaking of Mm -hmm. the old and New Testament. So the New Testament is in the old concealed and the Old Testament is in the new revealed. And I, I love kind of that again, point towards the symbiotic nature of the old and new Testament in a way that it is one continual redemptive story of uh, the personal work of Jesus in, in all of the world and all of history. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's really good. Go ahead, Rob. I was, I just, I, I was thinking the same thing in different ways, but just that one is the old Testament is not, something we get through in order to get to the good stuff. And the new Testament is an yeah. tag onto the old Testament. They both just really serve each other. It's funny. Mm-hmm. I just this morning in my, uh, Bible reading plan, read Jeremiah 33. Um, and in verse 14, it says, behold, the days are coming declares the Lord when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah in those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. Well, who's that? Uh, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. I think I think he's talking about the new Jerusalem. And this is the name by which it will be called. And uh, this was just so meaningful to me. The Lord is our righteousness. So like mm-hmm. even in the Old Testament... God himself is saying to Jeremiah, uh, I am your righteousness, not your Mm -hmm. sacrifices. I mean, so Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, in terms of context, all of scripture is saying, I will redeem you. I am your righteousness, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And so uh, I just read that this morning and just thought it it fit. But um, but yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think both serve each other and you can't, you can't just be, you know, people say all the time, I'm just going to read the words of Jesus mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or it's all about Jesus to me. Well, good. Then read the old Testament, <laughs> you know, yeah. if that's true and read the new Testament. And yeah. Well, even to think that Jesus was a Bible teacher, a rabbi and what Bible was mm-hmm. he teaching? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, but the other thing that came to mind too, is like, even how it's so difficult to read or under even start to understand Hebrews, you know, if you have no understanding of the Old yes. Testament or even Romans, like mm-hmm. when, you know, they talk mm-hmm. about Abraham he believed mm-hmm. and was justified in his heart. And like, how do you, you can't properly understand the new Testament without some, uh, you know, background understanding of the story of the old Testament as well. Yeah. It's good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think even that example, I think is a great one of, of Abraham, because it's not just 
having our Old Testament knowledge help inform our New Testament knowledge, but I think it's also our New Testament knowledge helping us uh, not make interpretive errors when it comes to how we would read the Old Testament. That that when we yeah. would see something like that in the book of Romans and we would see that Abraham is justified by his faith and that that is why he was counted as righteousness. Well, that that statement then helps us to to make sure that as we read the story of Abraham or anyone else in the Old Testament, to be wary of, well, this isn't a works-based thing. Even even then, uh, yeah. the scripture would declare that, that God has been working in the same way uh, even all the way back to the person of Abraham. So I, the canonical context thing, I, I do think it works both ways from old to new, mm-hmm. but also new back to old and helping us make sure that we're kind of mis- not misinterpreting or making interpretive errors as we go about reading the scriptures. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, so it's letting scripture help interpret scripture and let New Testament yeah. scripture help interpret Old Testament and uh, vice versa. But any other thoughts on those or con uh, just context in general, just Again, trying to help people. Maybe they've been Christians for a long time, never read the Bible for themselves. Maybe they're new Christians and are just trying to even know how to start. So with those people in mind, any other thoughts on just the helpful lens of context when coming to a text? Question mark. I think one of the things that I've come across a lot is um, it can be intimidating. And, And I think maybe the three of us, you know, I'm looking in the in the background of this video. There's there's a bookshelf with a ton of books, and and if you don't have some experience in that world, all of a sudden you you enter into this like massive wealth of information, whether it be podcasts or books. Or mm-hmm. so I think for me, one of my recommendations for for somebody who this contextual conversation might be relatively new for, or they're looking to maybe go from like a solely devotional reading of the scripture to maybe a little bit more of a studious reading of the scripture and understanding some of these things would be ask for help, find mm-hmm. a, a pastor who you trust, find a spiritual mentor who you trust and say, Hey, I'm, I'm looking for some resources to help me grow. Uh, yeah. Do you have any recommendations? Do you have any places I can start? Um, because once you spend enough time in some of that world, you begin to to kind of go, okay, well, these, these are some voices that I trust. And these are some, some themes that I'm really seeing, mm-hmm. but if, if you don't have a background in that, it can be really difficult uh, to enter into that world, but reading scripture, understanding scripture, not only in the context of community, when it comes to like local church, but historical community in the sense of mm-hmm. the people who've come before us and all the words of the wisdom that have been uttered about the scriptures, I think are incredibly beneficial for us even today to be able to humble ourselves and, and uh, kind of listen and learn from voices of the past. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's a good, good point. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think even this conversation, I agree, could be, be a little bit overwhelming and we mm-hmm. really don't want to give the message that the Bible is for those with a doctorate, um, mm-hmm. which would mean yeah. all three of us are toast, but uh, yeah, it just, the Bible, I mean, we can read the scriptures on our own. And honestly, literary context, t- text and canonical context are things that you don't need an extra book for mm-hmm. generally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we definitely don't want to give the impression that the Bible's only for those that have thick glasses and a church office. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't you say, you know, like most basic good study Bibles even will help a lot with the historical context. Like Mm -hmm. if there's something that you need to know in order to properly understand the text, like a good 
study Bible, whether it's the ESV study Bible or an NIV, you know, one of those like tried and true mm -hmm. ones, uh, I think that's just even a great place to start with helping Absolutely. understand basic historical context. Like you don't need to go on a big trip and do a big archaeological dig, but just, yeah. I mean, you could, if you wanted to, you haven't even ever been to a museum. So, and so, um, <laughs> but yeah, just like for just an ordinary person wanting to get some context yeah. of cultural context, I think they, most of those study Bibles do a great job of giving the basics of pretty much what you need to know Yeah, in order to mm -hmm. properly mm -hmm. understand what's going on and maybe not more mm -hmm. than you need to know to mm -hmm. get in the weeds. But yeah. yeah, I'd say just closing thought for me is um, at the end of the day, like sometimes I think people think there's like some secret sauce or secret something resource um, for understanding the Bible that like, you know, pastors get or theologians get. And like really at mm -hmm. the end of the day, when we come to the Bible, the information we have is one, we have the individual words. Two, we have the literary context of those words. Three, we have the Bible as a whole, you know, and then four, we have some, some, some historical context if you have access to that. And like, as far as information, you know, those are kind of the main things we have when we come to a text. Sure. There's other things you can reference, uh, you know, other people as well. But like, if I'm just opening the text, those are the main, main things I have. And there's not like some crazy mm -hmm. secret, uh, mm -hmm. science behind it. It's okay. Here's a verse. Here's the words I can, maybe I need to look at what, how, how John uses these words in his letter, you know, or in, in his gospel account to get an understanding of what he means by this word. But then beyond that, I just, all I have is the text. And so just being comfortable with like, this is what we have. We, we can pray that the spirit would help us. We can reference, we can talk to other people and reference those who have gone before us or pastors or leaders and see what, what they have to say. But those are at the end of the day, like that's the information you have. And we think if we use that information well, like you're probably going to do a pretty good job of understanding mm -hmm. what, you know, the author was trying to say. So any, any last mm -hmm. thoughts? Those are mine. Well, let's hear Tucker's Tucker. Any last thoughts? We have a minute left before zoom kicks us off. Yeah, no, I, I think a lot of what we've talked about here are really, they're really important things. They, I think they seem a little bit more scary than they are. Um, I think as, as you would press into, I, I love what you said about a good study Bible. I think that is just a tremendous place to start uh, in some of these things, but the hope would be that all these things would broaden our understanding of the scripture, which in turn would just grow our affection for Jesus. I mean, that's why we would want to learn these things. That's why we would want to know these things, not so that we'd become some sort of conceited believer that has a big head, but that we would understand the calling of Christ on our life and that we would walk in that uh, in a more true and, and firm and rooted way than, than we did yesterday and the day after and the day after and the day after. So I think it's just a really critical conversation and really important. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Hillside Church Podcast. We hope it encourages you guys and gives you some tools to go ahead and dive on into reading the Bible for yourself.